Welcome to the Revival Leadership Podcast, where our goal is to help kingdom leaders become revival leaders. My name is Adam Croft, and I'm a campus ministry director in Rhode Island and southeastern Massachusetts with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And with me on the podcast today is Greg Johnson, as always, also a campus ministry director in InterVarsity on the south coast of New England. And Greg has been on staff for 15 years. 15 wonderful years. And, uh, you know, the secret reason we're doing this podcast is that we're praying for God to send a season of revival. We're praying for God to flood his people with an outpouring of the spirit and inbreaking of the kingdom. We, we believe that is what's most needed for the church in the West. But the question for us is, will we be ready for it? Will kingdom leaders be ready for revival when it comes? Will we prepare for it? Will we be ready like Noah was ready for the flood? Are we ready to catch the wave? Revival leadership is a kind of kingdom leadership, but maybe it's not one we're as accustomed to thinking about. And so that's why we're doing this podcast so that we can get ready for it. So today in the podcast, uh, we're continuing our two-part conversation with Ryan Pfeiffer. Uh, he's a colleague, a friend, a mentor, and also a staff director with InterVarsity in the greater San Diego area. Ryan has really embodied and lived out the kind of adaptive leadership that is called for in order to see a sustained breakthrough uh, in the status quo in ministry. And Ryan's been sharing his own personal testimony and how he came to seek God with others for breakthrough uh, on college campuses in San Diego. And over the past 20 years, University's ministry in San Diego has gone from seeing eight students make decisions to follow Jesus in the metro area to seeing at one point 600 students make those decisions in a single year. And so today, uh, Ryan's talking about how revival involves a fundamental change in the people of God, not a surface level change, not a mere behavior change, or even a change in strategy, but an adaptive change, a heart change, a change in how the church does things and why it does things, uh, where some facet of the kingdom of God breaks into the status quo of an individual or a group. And revival leaders, as we're gonna learn today, are adaptive leaders who lean into that move of God and then steward it and fan it into flames. So eventually more and more people and a whole community can welcome and experience a new normal of the kingdom, a new normal of kingdom experience and fruitfulness. And so today, Ryan and uh, we will talk about what that kind of leadership can look like. Um, what are some facets of revival leadership that you've learned through that experience? I can give like a, maybe a metaphor yeah. to kind of encapsulate maybe the other comments that I'll yeah. make and we can discuss. Yeah. It's different than what we would maybe call normal or normal sort of spiritual leadership yeah. in the sense of maybe it's different, like the maintenance as you call it. Yeah. It's, it's different in, in that way, is, is there's a difference between adaptive leadership and technical leadership, right? You can have a you can lead an organization and bring technical change. You can change things at a technical level. Um, things that like we did this, now we're going to do this, and this is how we do it. Yeah, and there's probably different ways we can understand that technical change. We can understand technical change of we're just going to do different things. We're going to apply different tools, different techniques, different methodology. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more about the difference between the two, but let's just stick with that. Whereas adaptive change will just maybe simplify as it's not just what we're doing, it's 
how we're doing it, but even deeper why we're doing it mm. differently. It, it gets to the, to the deeper drivers and underpinnings of the people who are leading, who are uh, bringing the leadership and the people who are being led. And so it, it results in, yeah, new ways of doing things, but it, it results, I think, in, uh, in terms of revival leadership, it results in what's driving us to do the things that we're doing. Huh. And that's why it's not just about going out and doing, like you look at any revival and you're going to see the normative work of the Holy Spirit. You're going to see right. the Holy Spirit doing things we all would consider normal kingdom work. Yeah. And so you're going to see that people coming to faith. You're going to see Christians praying for their unbelieving friends. What's different? Is it just the numeric issue? Is that all that's different between a revival and a non-revival type context? It's not just a numeric thing. Huh. There's a qualitative difference. What's the qualitative difference? Is it enthusiasm? Is it excitement? No, because you wouldn't be able to say that all, that just simply being excited or that people are you know, thrilled about something by itself captures the difference. Revival leadership is bringing in a, um, an adaptive type of change to that community. Huh. First, to the Christian community. Huh. Um, there's going to be a change that gets at the, the heart of the people. Yeah. And that's what's so exciting about revival leadership. There's a fundamental status quo shift that's going to happen in the hearts of the individuals um, that's then going to have a, a ripple effect, you yeah. know, outward. And that's what yeah. makes the revival dynamic in the community, the impact on the community so powerful. Yeah. And it's not just like, oh, we're going to do this cool outreach to get new people in our church. Yeah. It's like something at the heart of the church, the, the, the campus fellowship, Something at the heart of at least the core group of leaders in the quality of their life with God is going to fundamentally change. Yeah. Like their, their worldview, their kind of motivations, like what wakes them up in the morning, how they see things during the day is going to change radically. Is that that's what you're talking about? Right, and I think that you're you're talking that we're talk, using this phrase about we're well, talking about change. We're talking about a breach of the status quo, and I think right there is the at the core of revival leadership is its focus that the revival leadership is honing in on that um that that uh intersection um where the status quo is giving way to in um a breakthrough the the kingdom of god and it's a different kind of leadership you know right now there's a lot of books written just even from a non-spiritual perspective about change culture how mm -hmm. to bring change how mm -hmm. to lead change why mm -hmm. talk about that mm -hmm. why talk about leading change why not just talk about any kind of change mm -hmm. but because there's unique dynamics unique elements at play people are going through things emotionally psychologically socially that's mm -hmm. unique when there's a change process mm -hmm. and that's certainly true um, on a um, for a community that's going through not just a maybe an organizational change but like a, a deep spiritual change so mm -hmm. let me get down to brass tacks mm -hmm. you can motivate a community of people to go out and witness and let's say they're what's driving that well mm -hmm. we want our church is getting small we want to see more people here yeah we want to feel like we're making an impact um the pastor gave this motivating message and we're feeling guilty yeah. about sitting on our butts and not yeah. being more active in the community yeah. um for me, when I've, when, what I see when I read about the history of revival is the why. Yeah. That's, 
it that's the the new the, the epicenter of it yeah the core of it and one one example of that is people begin to be invaded in their hearts with God's love for lost people yeah now you just let's just pause right there that is so different than I feel guilty about this yeah oh I should do it because it's what my pastor thinks it's what good Christians do yeah it's not a should do it yeah it's not I have to do this yeah. It's, oh my God, how can I not do this? Finney right. talks about this. Yeah. Finney talks about... Charles Finney. Yeah, Charles Finney. He talks about what was happening to people during the revival, and people were confused by the the intensity of emotion. It's yeah. not the emotion, it's what's at this root of the emotion. He's right. talking about these people, this woman, for example, who is on her face just weeping yeah. with her a heart for the yeah. lost people. Yeah. And what is it that's happening to this woman Christ's love for lost people has broken into her heart yeah that spiritual transaction that breakthrough yeah is what we're talking about yeah and that's a spiritual transaction you can't manufacture right. you can't manipulate that because the the fruit between someone who's been invaded by God's love for their for lost people whether it be their family their roommate their yeah. campus is so radically different yeah then the fruit of someone who's doing it because of what they're supposed to do, they're doing it because there's a cute girl in the fellowship, they're yeah, doing right. it because they feel guilt tripped to do it, yeah. you know, because they write some book and they're feeling kind of like they want to make a difference in the world, which are all fine, you know, or, we all done that. Or maybe they're in ministry and they feel like, oh, I got to make my church. This is grow. my job. I got to make my hit my numbers. Yeah. But revival gets to that, and that's why I kind of relate to an adaptive change, something deeper than yeah. just we're going to use a new method and a new tool. Yeah. Sure, it can result in new methods. Yeah. It can result in the courage to do new things in yeah. new ways that you never would have the guts to try. Yeah, like in San Diego at UCSD, we were so just so hungry to see people coming to faith. We were, we started giving invitations to faith at large groups at our large gatherings, yeah. and I was we were nervous. We were really nervous about failing, about looking stupid, about scaring people away. But we just. <laughs> We want people to come to faith. We have to start asking them. Well, I think you were telling me at one point, you you made a lot of invitations to faith before you saw a lot of people come to faith, right? I mean, you got up at the large group and are like, hey, if there's anyone that um, wants to come to Jesus, like, you know, raise your hand, whatever. And um, it wasn't exactly like uh, instant success, right? I mean, it was like... Yeah, and that probably gets to the the, tra- the necessary traits of, you know, of someone who is going to begin yearning for revival anywhere yeah. and begin to ask God to use them to mm-hmm. um, cry out for revival in, in, in any place. Yeah. You, you're going to have to be, you have to persevere. Yeah. And Jesus has so much to say about that. We yeah. see so many examples in early church yeah. history. Um, but but yeah, what, it was a year of giving invitations of faith. It was a year, before a year of doing. We it. saw anyone respond but, positively. But part of that speaks to the fundamental adaptive change that you're talking about, because, I mean, that's a hard thing to get up and try this very vulnerable. I mean, it's like you know, it's yeah. you and people enthusiasm is not enough. Yeah, it's, it's like right. hey, because because if it worked the first time and it's bearing fruit, like I could see how hey, it's working, it's bearing fruit. But the desire in your heart has to be fairly profound in order to like get up there, give a call, nothing happens. Get up there, give a call, nothing happens. Like, like um, it speaks to a the change that God works in an individual heart of somebody that 
is invaded by that love. And um, yeah, and B, it speaks to the kind of persevering attitude that's necessary for revival leadership. Yeah, and you, I think if you're that person who's crying out for revival for a campus, a community, a church, you also have to be willing for God to do that deep heart work in you. Yeah. And to be careful not to want to leap over that. Yeah. And focus primarily or exclusively on those people need to be revived. Yeah, yeah. Those people, those people. That's what's yeah. so great about the revival yeah. dynamic, right? Yeah. Like, see, in evangelism, you can think that way almost. You can be like, that person doesn't know Jesus. They need to know Jesus. I'm yeah. looking at them to know Jesus. Yeah. But what's so exciting about the revival dynamic is it it reminds us from biblical history and precedent and his, in the church history precedent that, that these movements of God begin because... Um, the leaders, the people who became the, the 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 igniting, the points of ignition, the matches, they had to be willing to let God do something in their heart. Yeah. And gosh, you just uh, and that takes a process too. Yeah. There's a process to that yeah. for us. Sometimes it takes a while. It's yeah. not fast. You're you're wrestling through things. Yeah. And for me, that year of giving invitation after invitation every week at our group meetings and. There was a lot of fear that, oh, we're making people uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, we're scaring people away. Yeah. And um, uh, no one, it, but it also created a hunger for people to bring their friends to hear these invitations. Yeah. Number two, it also helped me overcome my fear of making an invitation that, um, the fear that no one was going to respond to make an invitation. Yeah. So now when I give invitations, I can give an invitation anywhere without real fear. Uh, and be, uh, being held back by the fear that people won't respond. Right. And that doesn't make me more awkward or weird. I've learned to make invitations in a way that is culturally sensitive and you know, emotionally intelligent, yeah, if yeah, you want to yeah. put it in those terms. I'm not just going to skewer people with discomfort and awkwardness. <laughs> I've definitely had to learn doing it week in and week out, how to do it in a way that makes it feel almost normative. This is what yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. Every week we just invite people. And actually what happened during that process is I started inviting Christians to respond as well. Yeah. Okay, there's no non-Christians that are responding, but how about Christians? What's the step of faith for you? Right. And so in that year, one thing we developed was um, giving a call to faith is for non-believers is an expression of our overall conviction that we're not just here to 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 listen to God's word, we're here to make an active response to it. Yeah. And so Christians needed to model that. Christians were then standing up and having altar call movements. Right. Yeah. They're yeah. having to ante up with some response of faith to the message, and then yeah. we turn to the non-Christians and say, "Hey, yeah. maybe you." Need to accept Jesus as your Savior tonight. Yeah, and that's what right. that means for you to, to take a step of faith. Yeah. And we started seeing students respond. Yeah. And eventually it got to a place where um, it actually became culturally normative in the community. And it took a of, year. Yeah. And the next year, we didn't, it was rare to have one gathering where we didn't see at least one yeah. or two people. Yeah make that kind of commitment and by making this commitment you know maybe paint a picture you know as i'm giving the invitation to faith i'm inviting people to uh, to raise their hand yeah if you want to make this decision so they raise their hand and say hey if you just raise your hand would you just stand up so i can pray for you yeah and as these people are standing up everyone in the room is applauding for them and cheering yeah. them on and encouraging yeah. them and providing that sort of yeah. uh, social peer, you know, yeah. approval. Yeah. Like, this is a good thing. Yeah. This is scary, but this is a good thing. 
And I'm praying with them. And then I'm inviting them. Hey, if you are staying up right now, would you come down and pray with our prayer team? I'd make a joke. Like, don't worry. We're not going to kidnap you and whisk you <laughs> off to the mothership. We're not going to try to sell you anything. We're just going to, they're just going to ask you why you stood up. Yeah. What tonight meant for you. And they're going to pray with you to help make this a really, make this moment stick for you. So you don't just forget about it and think it was just an emotional moment tomorrow. So they would, they were more likely to come down. Yeah. And pray and, and uh, fill out an information card so we could yeah. follow up with them. Yeah. So that's the picture that uh, you know that you would see on an average uh, an average night. Yeah. People are raising their hand. They're then standing up and then they're coming down. They're filling out a card and they're getting followed up. We're giving them free resources and yeah. we're inviting them to, to to grow in this decision yeah. that they've made and to look at it like you planted a seed. God's planted a seed in your heart. Yeah. You welcomed it. Yeah. Do you want it to grow? Because if yeah. you don't start following up on it yeah it's not going to grow yeah and the truth is not everybody wants it to grow right and we know that yeah um not everybody who made a stand is going to follow through with it but anyways that's the picture of what you would see on a night yeah and then i mean eventually you spin out this story over over years it becomes um a kind of a just a, a hallmark of the of the fellowship and Eventually, you get students leading Bible studies, and and um, they've they've watched people come to faith. They have they have faith for it, and um, you know they're leading a Bible study with their friends or whatever, and they get up in a dorm Bible study. Yeah. At the end of the night or after a few weeks, and they're like, "Hey, would anyone like to make a response to the gospel?" And in these Bible studies, students are inviting their friends to faith, and so this kind of personal breakthrough that happened in your heart. And you, like, sought the Lord for, persevered for, eventually gets spread through an entire community. Uh, yeah, and that's what I, that's why I lo- it was a revival dynamic in our community yeah. because um, it resulted in a, in that in that deep cultural change for yeah. us as a community. Yeah. So to give you an example, when we were first talking about God's love for lost people. Uh, students would literally tell me, if I wanted to do evangelism, I would have gone to, to Crusade, <laughs> Campus Crusade for Christ. Yeah. I came to university because I wanted to be discipled and I wanted to grow deep in community. Yeah. So that represented the ethos of our community's culture. And um, so a lot of students that like weren't that, I mean, they're glad somebody out there was doing evangelism, but they didn't really want to do it. That's right. And a lot of churches mm-hmm. are like that too. They're like, oh, we, that's why we hire the pastor. You know, they can do it for us. and So we go from that to a community where students are weeping for their non-believing friends. Students yeah. are outpacing staff and taking risks. Yeah. They're witnessing to professors. Yeah. They're giving invitations of faith in their small yeah. groups. This wasn't about a few new techniques. Yeah. Uh, this was about a change of heart. Yeah. A transformation of the community's culture. Yeah. The change of heart of the community. Yeah. And the way that they fundamentally understood um, their purpose in Christ on earth, yeah. their relationship with the Jesus, with yeah. uh, to Jesus, and uh, what it means to be uh, a witness on the campus. Yeah. The other amazing thing ab- about it was when you look at revivals, uh, it's not. Um, any just one thing. If you look at Martin Luther or any of these revival movements, it has sort of like a like a, 
an escalating element, not just in the numbers of people who are being touched mm-hmm. by it, but um, in it's like the kingdom of God breaks in maybe through prayer, mm-hmm. a breakthrough of prayer, or maybe yeah. the kingdom of God is breaking in through a heart for lost people, yeah. or it's breaking in through a, um, a new way of understanding the grace of God, and, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and so and some forgotten core biblical doctrines that yeah. have gotten buried in the centuries. Yeah. But then what happens is it becomes like yeast and the leaven. It starts to spread in other aspects and dynamics of the kingdom yeah. begin to thrive where they were maybe not thriving the same way. So evangelism is breaking in, but pretty soon prayer has it starts to pick up because people are feeling nervous and intimidated and overwhelmed by the evangelistic challenge of reaching their friends. Yeah. They have the heart that wants to go do it, but they're all but they still have insecurities, they still yeah. have self doubts. Yeah. And they or they still have friends who are resisting their invitations. Yeah. So their heart is invaded by a love for lost people, but their friends still are resisting them or they still have fears and prayer showed up mm. in a really big way. And and uh, just people are praying. It's like, you know, I don't know. It, it's it, when you are desperate and in over your head with a challenge, it galvanizes and energizes your prayer life in such a fresh way. Yeah. And yeah. I know there's a lot of exceptions to the how the, the whole idea there's no atheist in the foxhole. I know that's a bit of a misnomer, but I think it captures the sentiment when we're pressed to our extremity, it yeah. opens us to depend on God. So prayer um, also started to really break through into our community. And it wasn't praying because I have to or I'm supposed to. Yeah. It was the way it's supposed to be. Oh my yeah. gosh, God, I need you so bad. Yeah. My friend needs you so bad. I yeah. need you to show up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel, I mean, our work as ministers is, we, you know, we work in the supernatural. And really, if you think about it, there's not much we hope for among the people we're ministering to that is um, outside the realm of the super the supernatural. And we're completely dependent on the Spirit to do all the things we're hoping to happen. Mm-hmm. We're hoping for... Um, things that happen at the, that deep heart level. Mm-hmm. So it's a little, like Jesus's use of agricultural metaphor captures it perfectly. We don't make things grow. Like he has the farmer, right, who sows the seed and he sleeps at night and he mm-hmm. doesn't know how it's growing, but mm-hmm. it's growing, right? Yeah. And it's a little bit like that. Like we can create you know, an environment for something to grow, but we're not actually making the growth happen. Yeah. But we yeah. do have influence over the environment in which it's growing. Yeah. And we can create an environment where something is more likely to grow or not. Yeah. Huh. A couple of key things that facilitate um, that kind of spiritual growth within a person's heart. And um, one is uh, is earnest prayer. I mean, there is something significant about a leader praying for the people he's trying to influence. So when it, when a woman, man or woman is praying for a community that they're leading, they want to see change that they want to see revival break out there. They they have to be praying first and foremost. And the, the praying does something to the leader's heart, but it is affecting the spiritual atmosphere of the people that they're ministering to. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's praying for people. Um, that's foundational and groundwork. Mm-hmm. groundwork. But secondly, um, to talk, you know, the, the place that we saw God really show up and break through was in the area of, evangelism like seeing his heart jesus heart for lost people show up in our our hearts and so one of the things that we would do was uh share testimonies Mm. when someone made an attempt 
to share the gospel, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was an illustration of courage, faith, um, faithfulness. We would share those testimonies. We, in fact, a lot of our testimonies were not success stories. Mm-hmm. It was fun just to share stories of people going for it, even if they didn't succeed, because it normalized mm-hmm. failure. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's not such a bad thing. Yeah, That's okay. Look, this person's alive. Yeah, um, That sort st- of st- people's faith. That kind of removes some of the barriers of the fear of failure. But then we would certainly share stories of people coming to faith, and we would share it from the person who came to faith, and we would share it from the perspective of the person who was leading the person to faith as yeah. well. And that certainly created an atmosphere in which people could envision themselves in that situation, yeah. especially when the person leading the friend of faith was like the kind of person you would never expect. Like maybe the shy person, the quiet person, the yeah. person who yeah. maybe felt a little socially awkward and not the kind of person you yeah. think is going to go out and be successful and yeah. being used by God to see someone come to faith. Yeah. And so we would share the story from both sides, those were significant. And then I would exposit and almost treat that testimony like a piece of scripture and exegete the testimony. So you literally like, one of the things that's always a challenge is to, to get these testimonies. So you have to like be a little bit diligent about, you know, hounding people down. Like, wow, I heard this thing happen in your life. And you would get them to write out their story. And then you'd, you'd almost take it like it's a Bible study and underline stuff and look for, you know, the scripture references. Yep. And then you literally get up and share, read through the story and you use it almost to preach. Yeah, that's to right. The group. That's right. And yeah. And another thing that we would do is we would look for low hanging fruit. So we're looking for people who God is already stirring um, with the very thing we're praying for. And we would pray. So, you know, it says in the Bible, the, the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. Pray for labor. So I took that to mean for any change initiative, I'm praying for people in whom God is already working to, to, to be a part of that change. So I'm yeah. looking for people who already have that heart in them. Yeah. And I'm, as I identify them, I'm going to lean into those people. I'm going to invest in those people. So you see Jesus, he just had a knack for identifying people who were hungry right. and thirsty. Jesus said, right. bless those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Yeah. Jesus looked for hungry and thirsty people, yeah. and he had a knack for discerning it, and he would call them out to be yeah. with him. And he used their lives to amplify yeah. uh, the the calling the guy to put in his own life. Yeah. So we're looking for people and gathering them and prioritizing our investment in those people. As, one, as Robert Coleman said, you invest in the few that impact the many. Right. So when you're praying for revival, you're looking for the mode in which God is inviting you to to lead out into that revival. Yeah. Evangelism, prayer, social justice, I don't know, whatever. You're looking for like the burden God's personally, the Holy Spirit's laying on your heart. It's not like some, you're not praying for the same revival that Evan Roberts experienced in Wales. I mean, that'd be great. That's right. You're asking, God, where are you moving in my heart to seek you for a break, an inbreaking of the kingdom? And what is, how are you calling me to pray for that? That's right. And that's where you start. Yeah. And then, looking for other people that are hungry um, for that kind of breakthrough. And that's, that's right. who you prioritize investment in. That's right. And then you start to, it creates a groundswell. People begin to see, whoa, something's happening over there. So yeah. for, for me, in my context, uh, we were only me with students who wanted to do, who were willing to take risks in sharing Jesus with their friends. And so pretty soon we weren't mean with, we were mean with some people, but not with others. And people noticed that reprioritization of our time. Mm-hmm. And people started asking, uh, how, can we, 
how come you get to meet with those with Ryan and, and his team and nobody else does? And mm. people started hearing about why. Then people started hearing stories about people coming to faith. Mm. And it started to create a buzz. It started creating excitement and interest. Yeah. And that's good to create a tent to draw attention. Yeah. And I think what happens is um, people begin to see something as possible that they didn't think was possible. That gets to the heart. One barrier to to the heart uh, in an individual of, you know, um, belief, for example, with evangelism, wanting to let Jesus' love for lost people in is just a, a, a barrier of unbelief that God can use them to touch people's lives and change their life yeah. with mm-hmm. the gospel. But when they start seeing it happen, it starts to seed their heart with faith. God mm-hmm. can do this. Mm-hmm. And he can use anyone who's willing to be available. For example, I got a phone call with you, Ryan, one time and decided we're going to go do evangelism on campus um, with anyone who wants to do it. And it was going to be a win-win. So if they shared the gospel and the person came to faith, they get to see that. Um, and then there was a couple of times, like, if they failed, then I would have an opportunity to be like, you're still here. It's only, it's you lived. Thing. You didn't die. Right. Yeah. And unforeseen fruit was one young woman went out with us and she shared the gospel and the person's like, no, I don't want that. And she came back weeping. Like, how could they not want this? Yeah. And yeah. for her, that was the moment where she was invaded by God's love. It was the fact that she took the small risk to do it and it failed. Uh, and that was when God like... What, what I love about your story, Adam, is you can kind of almost see how... Fear quenches faith. Mm-hmm. And when that fear barrier was removed, you got her out there, you're sharing the gospel, and she's like, you know what, that wasn't so scary. Actually, that was kind of exciting. Yeah. Fear is removed, and that just removed the barrier. And then what happened? Like God's love just was able to flood into yeah. her heart. It wasn't coming up against this barrier. Yeah. And boom, she's like, oh, I want to see these people know Jesus. I'm not afraid of being God using me to be a part of that yeah. process. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's a beautiful story. Yeah. yeah. But one thing maybe it's worth saying as well is, you know, I'm talking about prayer, I'm talking about evangelism, I, I, I made a reference to social justice, but um, one thing that's important to say is that revivals can start through various avenues. Yeah. Like I was saying earlier, some are from a theological, pers- you know, breakthrough, some are from a breakthrough of prayer, some evangelism. And I look at it like with a, like a ser- like three overlapping Venn diagrams, three mm-hmm. circles overlapping, yeah. word, deed, and power. And I just see the kingdom of God breaks in. I mean, I'm oversimplifying something that's much more organic and complex, but to, if you'll just go with it for a minute, God breaks in through, um, kingdom breaks through th- through his word. The kingdom mm-hmm. breaks through through power, mm-hmm. word, deed, and power, through power. And um, which also is sort of the prayer circle, okay? Yeah. Um, as people begin to pray, they begin to see powerful demonstrations of God's movement, but also uh, word, deed, and power. So the deed section. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's people who are motivated by um, social injustice, and they, they're the kind of people that feel that something has to be done. It's yeah. fine that we read God's word. It's fine that we're praying, but someone needs to go out and, yeah. and walk in that protest. Someone needs to take a stand yeah. and demonstrate and yeah. give a physical representation of God's yeah. love, God's heart for justice. Yeah. And um, as a matter of fact, the um, I read an interesting book called A Stone of Hope, which is a analysis by a um, not not a Christian, but a college professor. I think it was from I think he was from University of North Carolina, but 
he basically analyzed the civil rights movement in the 60s and um, looked at the spirituality of the civil rights movement, how it differed from the kind of secular, li secular liberal activism and um, basically how it had a kind of spiritual power that was able to change the um, segregation system. And basically the end result of this guy's analysis is the civil rights movement was a form of a religious revival. Is that that's the clo that's the closest thing you could compare it to, and so that's an interesting um, support for your idea of revivals can 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 begin in that um, desire to see deeds happen or the deed circle social justice yeah. or yeah and like I said with Evan Roberts it Evan Roberts in Wales at first was convinced that that God's calling his life to help lead a revival would begin with him gathering a group of his friends and traveling around Wales and preaching evangelistic messages and pretty soon God's like no that's not what it is mm. that's not what it was about and it started with him and, and a, a little prayer meeting at his church mm. and so for him if you read about the Welsh revival and you look at its inception you see a lot it's really a lot of prayer mm -hmm. prayer is sort of like the, the open door yeah you wouldn't want to look at that and say, that's the formula. That's it. We just got to pray, 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 pray. And that's going to be it. I'm not saying pray isn't going to be a part of it. Because it is going to be a part of it. Just like evangelism is going to be a part of it. And social justice has to be a part of it. If the revival is going to mature. But we're talking about its inception. Right? Where it, yeah. how, do I, how does it begin? And you said it earlier. You look for where God's burdening your heart. Yeah. And you don't put a formula on it. You go, is God putting, burdening your heart to for prayer? Is God burdening your heart with a, the with a lack of of vibrant evangelistic witness in the community. Yeah. Is God burning your heart with a lack of representation of Jesus' heart for justice in the community? Yeah. Um, you see a protest that's going on that's taking a stand against some injustice in the community, and maybe it's a secular protest, but you're just convinced we need to take a stand there and represent Christ's heart yeah. for justice. Right. As you're saying, with by way of example, with Martin Luther King, those are all Martin Luther King Jr., those are all pathways. Yeah. And the important thing is for revivals to mature is they're going to invariably need to incorporate all those expressions. Word, deed, deed and power. power. When you have a revival functioning at its most mature form, it's going to function at the word, deed, and power level. Yeah. There's going to, But what happens in what short circuits these revivals from maturing is maybe a community is comfortable with the word part of it. They're comfortable yeah. with the proclamation of the word, the study of the word the preaching of the word they're comfortable maybe with um so maybe like an example of that i mean this may be kind of oversimplifying but the evangelical wing of the church tends to be you know most focused on the word yeah whereas yeah. like the charismatic pentecostal stream of the church tends to be focused on power and maybe the mainline church would be most focused on like deeds and stuff like that um and so maybe one of these kind of wings of the church, you know, in say the spirit's moving and they're and they're open to like leaning into some of these other streams of revival and actually streams of biblical Christianity, then that 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 can allow the revival to mature and become like fully orbed. But if they're like, no, we're not going there. Like we don't want to mess with that Holy Spirit stuff, or you know, we don't want to touch the justice piece. You're saying like, 
it can actually stunt the full expression of what God wants to do. Yeah, that's right. That's why when someone says, unless we, oh, the church um, regains God's heart for justice, we're never going to see a revival. I heard a comment like that recently on Twitter, something related to that. I think it might have been from Rick Warren. Yeah, that's deep. Um, there's truth to that. It doesn't mean that justice alone is the pathway. Yeah. It just means that it may be that by not, by neglecting that, we're yeah. not allowing that revival momentum to gain enough steam wow. in the church. And yeah. so when you see them at their most mature, you see all those pistons firing. Yeah. And you can look at various revivals and some good examples of these types of revivals in full swing um, are, uh, I think France of Assisi is one of my favorites. Yeah. You just, I mean, it's, you see prayer, you see a heart for the poor, you see bold evangelic proclamation, you see yeah. it all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, but at the heart of it, Francis and every other revival leader had that kind of personal breakthrough encounter with the Lord where where God broke into their own hearts. And I think that that's happened to you, Ryan. It's happened to um, us in some respects. Um, and I think it was, I forget the English evangelist that said this. If you want to begin praying for revival... You know, draw a circle on the floor and stand in the center of that circle, and then begin to pray for revival. God to send revival to that circle, yeah. and um, that's probably that's probably the way we want to go out here. Is just that's a good way. The good way to end this podcast is uh, we've talked about so many things and um, so many reasons to hunger and long for that breakthrough, but the place it has to start is in is in our own hearts and so um so until we meet next time um we'll all be praying for that breakthrough pray for you right now whoever's listening to the podcast that god would send um a breakthrough of his love into your own heart and um and uh thanks for joining us see you next time Thanks for joining us on the podcast again for the second half of our conversation with Ryan. As always, please uh, feel free to leave a review, rate the podcast, share it with a friend, send us an email at revivalleadershippodcast at gmail.com. You can check us out online at revivalleadershippodcast.com. We're on Instagram and Patreon. And that's it for us this time. We'll see you in a couple weeks.